Welcome to episode 99 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Amy Wren, Boston-based yoga teacher and the director of the Boston Yoga School on the podcast. The Running on Ohm podcast is founded upon the belief that by sharing our stories, we can spark each other's imagination and deliver encouragement in our paths. And my own journey, hearing the stories of fellow yogis and runners has really been paramount to helping me find my place, my voice, and my path. And so I started this podcast to share this tremendous amount of knowledge, the innovative minds in these practices with all of you. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the Running on Ohm podcast. I'm so happy you're listening in. And if you've been listening for a while, thank you. We're almost at our 100th episode, and it's been because of you guys, your support, your love, your encouragement, your feedback that has made me keep this podcast going. When Amy's story is over, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Your honest perspective is going to help me continue to better this podcast and also help Running on Ohm gain more visibility on the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find it. It'll take you less than five minutes and really make a world of difference. Although I'd been practicing yoga for a while prior, it felt like it was the first yoga class of my life. The way she taught was so new to me. So the class was labeled as vinyasa and I thought I was a pro at vinyasa, but it was a completely different type of flow than I had experienced before. It was filled with intelligent alignment cues, slower strength building transitions, and Amy's love and passion for everyone in the room to really feel the postures from the inside out was so different to me. Since that first yoga class with Amy, I've returned many times to practice with her, honestly more than I could count, and I'm always humbled by her teaching. She's truly a teacher's teacher and understands the art of yoga teaching in a deep and lived way. I feel beyond blessed to call her one of my biggest influences in my yoga practice and in my yoga teaching, and I'm honored to have her on Running on Om. In this episode, Amy tells the story of why she started practicing yoga and how yoga brought her into her body, the importance of saying yes and her path to becoming a yoga teacher. Amy reflects on the power of the yoga community. She reveals some of her own self-care practices that ground her. Amy shares what teachers inspire her and how she fits in the time to study with them. She explores how Iyengar yoga influences her teaching of vinyasa yoga. Amy offers her perspective on the difference between yoga teaching and instructing, and what it took for her to step into her role as a yoga teacher, not a yoga instructor. Advice for those interested in enrolling in a yoga teacher training, from a woman who leads teacher trainings herself. How the practice of letting go makes space in the new year. Exciting events, trainings, and retreats on Amy's calendar for 2015. All this and more on this episode of the Running on Own podcast. Welcome, Amy, to the Running on Own podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. So I'm sitting with Amy in person at South Boston Yoga Studio, where Amy has taught for numerous years and has really built a beautiful community that I am a part of and that I got to connect with Amy through. And I'm so curious to hear from you a little bit about why you first stepped into a yoga studio. Before you were ever a teacher, why did you walk in the door? Uh, Okay, let's see. So it was the year 2000 and... uh, I had moved to JP, part of Boston, and there's a studio there called Blissful Monkey, 
and um, I walked by frequently and thought that it was a really cute name. And so one day I just decided to go in and take a class. And the first class I ever took was with Nadia Rafi, who still teaches there. And she's an Iyengar teacher. She was an aspiring Iyengar teacher then and has since gotten her certification. And I loved it. And I thought that it was so um, different than anything I had ever done. I had actually taken, I should back up, because I had taken a Kundalini class when I was, like the year before, or something that was offered at my school. And I thought it was totally weird and hippy-dippy. And, you know, the, the woman leading the class was dressed in white and there was a fur rug. And I was freaked out by the whole experience and thought yoga was for weirdos. And so Blissful Monkey um, was a much different experience. It was much more um, anatomical in terms of the instruction, and it was uh, very earthy, as anger instruction tends to be. And so I connected with that because it was very organized and academic, and that was um, jived with my uh, way, so to speak. And so I started taking Nadia's class religiously every week, Thursday night. She still teaches that class and um, really was inspired by her. She's a, a wonderful teacher. She always has been a wonderful teacher, but she's also incredibly graceful and in the way that she speaks and in the way that she moves. And um, I was thinking to myself that if, I, if doing yoga would make me more like her, that I would keep doing it. <laughs> And then that's it. That's how I started. I think sometimes that's how I feel about you. <laughs> I'm like, when I watch, I took your class this morning, and when I saw you in class, I was like, Amy's so graceful. <laughs> if I could move with that kind of energy, I mean, yeah. Life would be cool. In class, but... <laughs> I talk about Nadia. I still feel that way about her. I see her frequently now, and we're often in the same class now, the same teacher's class uh, with Patricia Walden. And... I, you know, 15 years later, I still find her to be one of the most beautiful teachers in Boston. That's really cool. Yeah. Before you walked into Blissful Monkey, do you feel like you were someone who inhabited their body? No. Oh my God, not at all. No way. I was, I, I never found like a thing when I was a kid that was physical that I jived with. Like I tried a lot of different sports. I played softball, I played field hockey, I played soccer tried basketball I was I was just not good at any of those things and although the thing I probably most connected with was horseback riding I never did it for very long because it's so expensive and uh, it was just too time-consuming so I never really had a physical activity growing up that I was into um, so I was it, yoga was a totally different thing for me and I don't even remember at the beginning like having an immediate connection like I don't think I put the pieces together immediately I really just was like this is fun Nadia is amazing I'm gonna keep coming and that was it and it was probably six months or a year into the practice before I actually started to like notice that I was getting stronger and notice that I could do things that I couldn't do and um, I very clearly remember the first time I did a handstand in her class and screaming her name from across the room I was so excited and uh, so it, it took a while, and I didn't have, you know, the way I see, like, my students now who have come from some sort of athletics or they danced or they did gymnastics or something, like, they have this um, intuitive nature in their body. I totally didn't have that. I was a hot mess. 
And um, thank gosh that I found the Iyengar practice first because that method cleaned me up, you know, really quickly. I learned um, to, to be in space in an organized fashion, whereas if I had stuck with the Kundalini, it probably would have had the opposite effect. Uh, but no, I did not have any prior bodily connection at all. That's just amazing to me because the way in which you speak about the body, the level of command detail, and I feel like you're able to talk about the interior and the exterior at the same time is just so rich to think that you didn't have that before you started practicing yoga is remarkable. So when did you want to be a teacher? When did you want to give yoga to other people? You know, it was um, as I think it is for so many of us that are um, of a, a... slightly different generation of yoga teachers you know now there's so many trainings and they're everywhere and there's so many people coming out of trainings and there's such an abundance um when I did my training which was a few years later uh there wasn't that yet and so I was offered classes really quickly and when I entered the training it was just because I thought it sounded interesting and I was really the yoga at that point and just wanted to learn more and didn't think I was going to teach. Um, I was on my way into grad school at the time and uh, had no inclination that I would turn into a teacher. And then within a couple months of the beginning of the trainer, it might even been a couple weeks, uh, the woman who owned Blissful Monkey asked me to sub. And then I got some teaching gigs at some other places. And by the time I finished teacher training, I actually had like 15 classes at studios which is unheard of now because like, you know, now you have to fight tooth and nail to get a class if you're fresh out of training. And at that point there was still a shortage of teachers. So, um, it just snowballed. And I, all of a sudden, as I was teaching more, you know, starting to actually make money off of it, which was such a foreign concept at the time, I thought, oh, well, this is a much better way to put myself through grad school than waitressing. And that's what I was doing at the time. And I hated it. And uh, so within a couple months of my teacher training, I quit my waitressing job and just switched to full-time um, So you were teaching. doing full-time teaching and full-time grad student? Um, yeah. At the beginning? At the beginning. That's yeah. intense. Yeah. It was and it wasn't. I mean, the program that I was in at that time, the grad program was... I don't want to use the word lightweight, but it wasn't like an intensive program. And so I was, and I'm, I'm someone who really loves to have a lot going on in my life. And so I thrive on the, um, chaos, I guess. Uh, so yeah, but I was teaching, um, about 15 classes when I finally quit my other job and then became a full-time teacher. And then things just kept coming and, for the first few years, I kept thinking that it was temporary. I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this until I finish grad school. And then I finished grad school, and I said, oh, maybe I'll get another degree. I'll do it until I finish that degree. And it's only actually been in, like, the past two years that I'm like, oh, maybe I'm going to do this for longer than a few minutes of my life. Um, so, anyway, I didn't choose to be a teacher necessarily in the sense that there wasn't, like, a decision moment. I just kept saying yes. Yeah, and it just unfolded and snowballed into you being, I think, one of, at the forefront of the Boston yoga scene, still, and a huge pioneer in it. It's totally strange, but... 
Yeah, it is. Funny how life takes you. It is funny. Because you don't think you're going to go. So now, I mean, your life, I feel like the landscape of your life, you're teaching, you have trainings, you have retreats. What part is the most fulfilling for you? Oh, I don't know if I can put it into a hierarchy. I, I, I thrive in all the corners in terms of in, in, in personal matters. Like I, that's not very articulate, but teaching my public classes and developing relationships with students really fills my cup. I love it. I love, I have people that come to my class now that have been coming to my class since the first day I taught, you know. Um, they've transformed as I've transformed in my teaching. And uh, so I, I love community. Community is such an important thing for me, and that's been really awesome. I also travel and teach a lot, and I've found that that has been incredibly rewarding because a lot of the places that I travel to, um, there's just not as much yoga, you know, and uh, so when I go to a place like Syracuse, New York, and I teach at a studio there, what I'm saying is new information to so many people, whereas in Boston we have a thriving anger community, we have a lot of really amazing teachers, and so while everybody's unique, of course, there's much more information available, so I've actually really found that I love to teach workshops in places where there's less yoga, um, because I feel like I can offer them something that they haven't had access to before. And then the retreats are just like, I mean, I'm getting paid to go on vacation. It's ridiculous. Uh, so I love the retreats. They're amazing. And back to the community aspect, that's been the coolest thing about retreats is that I get to know my students on such a deeper level, being in a small group, separated from daily life. And, uh, and then a lot of people come every year, and so I've just developed this rich relationship um, through doing retreats. And as far as Boston Yoga School goes, I love that and I'm still in awe of its success. Um, so quickly. So quickly. And I don't know, it just keeps coming back to like the, the idea of community and how all of these pieces in my life make my community bigger and um, more cohesive and that's the best thing. So I don't know if it's um, one aspect that's my favorite, but that's the the thread that connects, that them, connects all. them all. Yeah. So how do you unplug from all of this? I know some days you can be teaching like five classes mm -hmm. and you want to also fit in your own practice. And so what are some self-care practices for you that really ground you? Um, well, I go to New York pretty often and that is my, I feel like it's like I plug back in and I charge and then it lasts me a couple months and then I go and I plug back in and I charge. And, and so when I go to New York, I spend a lot of time alone. I do see my friends that live there, but I also like take a lot of yoga classes and I spend a lot of time alone and I um, write and I, and I enjoy New York City, which is someplace I've always wanted to live, but don't ever realistically see myself living there. And so that's really um, rejuvenating for me. I actually just got back and was reflecting on how uh, rejuvenating it is. And then the other piece that's may not seem like self-care, but actually is in a weird way, is that through Boston Yoga School, I've been able to get 
my favorite teachers from all over to come to Boston on a regular. And so I get to listen to people like Josh Summers and Kevin Courtney and Zach Daychick like lead my training chapters, you know, lead the anatomy portion or whatever. And, and then I get to be a student really regularly. And that's my favorite thing is to be a student. So, so those two things in terms of like not yoga things that I do, I have three dogs and I take them on long walks and I, you know, um, don't bring my iPhone and, uh, try to not plan while I'm walking and just enjoy, enjoy them. And I cook a lot. Yeah. yeah. I see some really cool pictures of your creations on Instagram mm-hmm. cooking. Yeah. So how would you describe your food philosophy and kind of what keeps you nourished right now, especially during these winter months? So you someone who really likes eating seasonally. I think I always struggle with that because I love my smoothies and yeah. I love my tropical fruits. And then I'm like, I'm not eating to the season at all. Yeah, I, you know, I struggle with it, but I've gotten better at it because uh, my boyfriend and I have a farm share. And so that really forces us to eat more seasonally and also be more experimental with our vegetable intake. I'm a vegetarian and so I uh, am always interested in creative ways to have a full meal and not just be eating the same thing all the time. You know, just like eating kale or salads or whatever. Totally. So um, right now, let's see, I'm really into spaghetti squash. Like so into spaghetti squash, it's kind of ridiculous. Like I'll cook like a whole one in the oven, and then I buy this vegan pesto from Whole Foods that I'm pretty sure is laced with some sort of drug, because Brenna and I call it the crack pesto, because uh, it is so good. And so I roast the spaghetti squash, and then I scoop out the flesh and put pesto on it, and that's like my favorite thing. Mm, and it's so good, so it works out great. Do you remember the name of the brand of that pesto? Seggiano, I think. Yeah, I think I've gotten it before. It's like. $27 or something ridiculous, but it's so good. And every once in a while it goes on sale, and so when it goes on sale, I'll buy like 10 and stock up because it's really expensive, but it's a flourish that I'm willing to pay for. That sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say you love being a student, other than the teachers you bring to Boston Yoga School, who is inspiring your teaching right now? Um, oh, so many people. I mean, my regular teachers in Boston are Patricia Walden. Um, and Natasha Rosopoulos and then all the staff of Boston Yoga School, they are all my teachers in a major way. Um, but I'm so into Carrie Owerko right now, who's this genius Iyengar teacher from New York. And um, I've been going to New York primarily lately to take her class and to connect with her. And she's amazing. And um, yeah, so she is, I love Iyengar teachers. I mean, I... I teach vinyasa, but I, it's rare that I take a vinyasa class. Like I primarily practice the more um, formulaic styles of yoga. And the beauty of the Iyengar method that I think um, people don't realize sometimes is that it it's like a training. Like it's like it just trains your neurology and your physiology and your attention and everything just to be able to um, focus, number one, on what you're doing, and then also observe yourself in space, and then also start to notice um, your scars and so on. And so sometimes anger can, I think, be unattractive to the modern yoga culture because it's not sweaty and you're not necessarily moving fast, but 
the beauty to me is the intricacy and the way that I've um, honed my seeing skills, my listening skills, my feeling skills. Like everything is just sharpened from that practice. And Carrie, uh, in addition to being a brilliant teacher of that method, is like this little shiny, sparkly human that she feels she feels like she's like a piece of stardust and so she infuses the anger method with a, a serious amount of love and affection and I appreciate that. Does that ever feel like a disconnect for you between like teaching vinyasa but then practicing Iyengar? I mean at least when I take your class I definitely feel very strong Iyengar influence. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you're leading these students through something that you may not be practicing on your own right now. Yeah, it's an interesting um it's an interesting thing that I think about often. I do practice Ashtanga too. I regularly go to um, a Mysore practice here in Boston. And so I am moving, doing the flow practice. But I practiced vinyasa for years, and so I remember very distinctly the feeling of um, power that I got from practicing a lot of vinyasa. and. And I, I, I love that practice. And the only reason I don't do it here in Boston is that there's there's not a lot of vinyasa teachers here that are teaching in the same vein as me where I, you know, feel drawn to their class, although there's profound teachers. You know, there's not, we're all different. And so, um, although I do go to Brenna's class. I love Brenna's class. Uh, and But it's mostly scheduling. It's mostly just like, I can't get to a vinyasa class. I, it's too, I'm teaching at the same time as anyone else that, I'd want to go take their class. So, um, but when I go to New York, I do vinyasa. But in terms of the disconnect, I don't feel that because I still am deeply connected to the power of movement and breath that you don't necessarily get in Iyengar. But my intention, and when I practice at home, like on my own, I tend to practice vinyasa or ashtanga. Um, but what I always try to do is like, I don't know, kind of turn an Iyengar concept into a vinyasa class so that the vinyasa experience is more than breath and movement, which is a beautiful thing, but it's also educational. Um, and so what I'm teaching in my vinyasa classes is always what's inspiring me, what I'm practicing in some way. And I'm, I'm probably just turning something into a vinyasa sequence so to speak um that I've practiced in like an Iyengar way does that make sense yeah Yeah. and I think that's a really key thing about what has drawn so many students to you is that in a vinyasa class with you you're not just sweating and flowing they happen but you're also really making an educational experience and so I think people who are more of the brainy type really love your vinyasa because they're like, wow, I'm getting stimulated in this way as well. Yeah. And then my body's becoming more intelligent in how I use it. And that's been my intention for the past few years. David Reglin, who I used to partner with a lot and who um, is an old friend, he challenged me a few years ago in a way that I, at the time, was not ready to, to listen to or hear, but he was like, are you are you an instructor or are you a teacher? You know, and are you leading a class or are you teaching a class? And at the time, I would say that I was an instructor and I was leading and I wasn't teaching. And when I sat with that 
which I sat with it for a while and we had, you know, had conflict around it, but I realized what he was saying. And I realized that there are many great yoga instructors that provide an experience. And I think it's beautiful. And I think there's so many people who want and need to have an experience and to get out of their brain and to move and sweat and flow and all of that. But my, my purpose as a teacher is not, it's not that because that's not actually what moves me. What moves me is, oh, I'm learning. Oh, I'm learning how to observe. I'm learning how to listen. I'm, I'm paying attention to myself in space and my interior space. And, um, and so I had to um, change my teaching quite a bit so that I actually did feel like I was delivering something that was authentic to me. And so my class became much less choreographed and much more straightforward and I think I probably started talking more a couple years ago and um, yeah. And there's a certain level of directness in that that I experienced from you. Mm-hmm. Like you're not afraid of, you know, telling people specifically in the room, okay, you need to work on this, which I love because that's helping me so much with my with my body and I know that helps people around me. Yeah. And there's a directness in which you really speak to people. Yeah. You're not just speaking yeah. by a script at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely not um, planning what I'm going to say in advance or anything like that. It, it is very... Um, directed at the people in front of me uh, in any given class. And yeah, so so I do feel very connected to what I'm teaching. Um, and all of the sequences that I've taught, that I teach now, I've taught a million times and I've done, and I know them well, I know them inside and out and upside down. So it's rare that I'm, that I'm teaching something new in a sense, um, even if I'm teaching it in a different way. So there's been a big influx, and we've already touched upon this, of yoga teacher trainings out there mm-hmm. and people who want to do a yoga teacher training. I feel like every other day on Facebook, someone sends me a Facebook message totally. saying, I want to do a yoga teacher training. Yeah. Which one should I do? And so what is your advice for people out there who are interested in yoga teacher trainings? Like, when do you think someone's ready to embark on a 200 hour? And what do you say to people? It so depends on the training. And so I always say that the number one thing, in my opinion, is that you are connected to the person leading the training, first and foremost, because there's plenty of trainings where you can sign up, all you need is a credit card, and you know I think that that's logical for the studio to make it available in that way. But to get the most out of a training, I think you need to be dedicated to, inspired by, and committed to what the director of the program is offering. Because we're all so different, and every every training is, unless it's some sort of corporate training, like a core power or something like that, like most of the trainings that are uh, studio trainings are being developed by the people who are leading them. And so as a student, if you're not... Um, well-educated in that person's teaching methods and you don't know them, I think you're taking a big risk signing up for a training. And in my training, there's a prerequisite where everybody has to have taken my class 10 times. There's an essay they have to write, a whole application, because I really only want people in my training who um, have a certain level of commitment. So what I've seen happen in the training world is that there's some trainings, it's kind of like classes, you know, there's some trainings where it's a, a 
self-study. It's something where if someone wants to learn about yoga and they want to learn about themselves and they want to immerse themselves, that training is a great choice for them. And there's a ton of studios offering those and they're amazing. And then there's other trainings that are more, um, if you want to be a yoga teacher, uh, go do this training. And so my advice with someone looking at trainings is to figure out like, what is my intention? Is my intention to study yoga, to immerse myself in yoga? Then find a teacher that you jive with and then go do their training and do that. If your intention is to teach, make sure that the training that you're doing is not an, is not just deep in your practice kind of training, but is actually going to give you the toolbox to um, get on your way as far as teaching goes. So I guess that would be my Yes, yeah, I think that's really brilliant. Now, is this turning of the new year, this time is a time for a lot of people of intention setting or resolution, but I've heard you talk about it. Instead of setting an intention, you talk about letting go of something from the years past. Mm -hmm. And this kind of, I don't know if detox is the right word, but freeing yourself of something. Yeah. So what are you freeing yourself of from 2014 to make space for 2015? Let's see. Well... Yeah, I make fun of the yoga cliche and set an intention all the time because it's like, you know, that could be, you could intend to brush your teeth before you go to bed. You know, it can be like something really meaningless or it can be something really deep. And so I generally only try to set intentions when there's like boundaries around it and it's like, do this, you know, to get there, whatever. Um, But yeah, in terms of like letting stuff go, I think that generally speaking, in our culture, myself included, we are all cluttered, you know, to no end in, in our interior space. And so all the devices and all the time we spend on social media and all of the busyness and doing yes. and all that stuff, we're just all so full of, of shit, you know, for lack of a better term. Like there's just so much in there that, um, I, myself and I think anyone can benefit from, eliminating certain trains of thought or certain habits or whatever. And so um, my own commitment this year uh, was, is, I guess, um, to sit with my position in the yoga world and where I want to go. Because what I've been doing for many years is straddling two worlds where I'm still working on a another graduate degree and teaching and traveling and doing all of these things and uh, I've felt the need to to consolidate um, because I do feel a little too stretched out in a lot of different directions so that's been something that I'm trying to figure out like what needs to go um, so that I have More time isn't the right way to put it because I actually do feel like I have a lot of time, but um, more open space. Pico Iyer in his TED talk um, talks about having days stretch out like open meadows and things, and I'm like, yeah, I never have a day stretch out like an open meadow. You know, <laughs> there's always something that could be done in my life, and so I'm looking to let go of some, some things. So right now that's been, um, you know, like everybody, I think figuring out what is the nutritional social media diet 
because that's such a brain suck. Uh, and, you know, how much am I um, putting a toe in in a lot of different places instead of putting a whole foot in? Mm. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Mm. What are you excited about for 2015? I know you have some exciting retreats on your calendar, but what should we, what should we be looking out for? Well, Boston Yoga School is expanding beyond the city limits, which is exciting. So I'm only doing one training in Boston uh, this year. Um, and I'm doing a training, another one in Syracuse, which I did last year, which went really well, is about to end. We're doing another one of those. And then I'm doing a training on Cape Cod. Uh, so that's exciting because back to what I said about doing traveling workshops and the, the eagerness of students that are in geographical locations that don't have a ton of yoga uh, it just is so fun and so I'm really jived about that um, my friend Tiffany that owns a studio in Syracuse and then my friend Patrick who owns a studio on the Cape are um, both amazing teachers in their own right and so I'm excited to help them step into the role of teacher training leader so that eventually they can do it on their own we hope so I'd say that. And I'm going to Galapagos, which is going to be ridiculous. That is so cool. <laughs> so to close up our interview, I have a few fun either-or questions. Okay. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. I wish I was an early bird. I love being an early bird, but I'm so not. Yeah. Smoothies or juices? <sighs> I would have said smoothies, but I've learned from Ayurveda that cold, gelatinous things are not the best thing for me so I'm more on the juice side now cool yeah mountains or oceans oceans so hardcore yeah <laughs> like I could never live somewhere that was landlocked and my last one is if you had a superpower would you rather time travel or fly ooh time travel yeah I don't know where I go but I don't think I need to fly. Yeah. Time travel. No one's ever asked me that. But yeah, I think I would uh, I would go to the land of no iPhone. Yeah. Let's go together. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy, for sharing your story. Thanks, Jimmy. That was fun. listening to episode 99 of the Running on Om podcast with Amy Wren, Boston-based yoga teacher and the director of the Boston Yoga School. I want to let the listeners, you, yes you, know about a special opportunity I'm creating for you to ask your yoga and running related questions. My friend and fellow yoga teacher, Susie Stefan and me, have started a bi-weekly podcast series called Ask the Yogi Runners, where we answer your questions. So if you have questions on yoga, running, or to how to incorporate both of these practices into your life, we would love to help answer them. Email asktheyogirunners at gmail.com. Also, if Running on Ohm has been a part of your life, if you've listened to one podcast now or over 90 of them, I want to know what you think about it. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It'll take you less than five minutes and make a world of difference. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.